this monstrosity itself is too large to fight in any traditional sense. Like, you can't just pick up your spells and your swords and go down to the bottom of the sea and start stabbing this thing. Uh, you have to come up with more interesting means of dealing with it. The threat comes not from the monstrosity itself, but from what it does to the environment. It's been releasing little twinkling spores into the sea that infest creatures with these uh, sort of starry mutations who then end up doing the bidding of this monstrosity, which wants to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is consume all magic. It wants to eat magic, get bigger and bigger until it has eaten everything. Hello and welcome to Making a Monster, the weekly podcast where game designers show us their favorite monster and we discover how it works, why it works, and what it means. I'm Lucas Zellers. My guest is an artist and adventure designer with a style strikingly different from D&D's oil painting standard. Can you tell me how you would like to be introduced? With appropriate levels of pomp. <laughs> no, I, I don't know. Um, RPG tunes, I guess. Neil's RPG tunes. I don't really have any other names. <laughs> I studied game art and game design for video games at, at uni. And then during that time, I also got back into role-playing games. Uh, and this was also when I was studying game art and I was sort of practicing that standard fantasy painty style. At some point, someone compared the night elf that I was playing to Dee Dee from Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> so I was like, that's really funny. I, I want to draw that. So I, I took, uh, I sort of uh, took that style and, and drew my character as Dee Dee from Dexter's Lab. And I was <laughs> like, man, this is really fun. Let's see what else I can do with this. And then yeah. uh, started drawing more and more fantasy cartoons and kind of completely abandoned the painting, really, <laughs> because the cartoons just seemed to have so much more expressive and interesting. So how it started was doing character commissions. People started to ask me if I could draw their character in my style, and I got so many requests for that that I thought I should start up a identity for it. So RPG Tunes was born, and then if there's if I could say two things that I want to accomplish, it's to sort of capture the spirit of modern morning cartoons uh, like say Shira or Avatar and translate that spirit into D&D campaigns because I think that D&D can be a lot more um, festive and emotional than Wizards of the Coast wants you to believe with their presentation. Sometimes what makes a creature unsettling, frightening, or monstrous is just that it's too big. Giants, dire wolves, and King Kong come to mind. I've covered a monster in my first season called the Warforged Colossus that's the size of a 10-story building, but Niels' choice for the podcast has upped the ante for future guests by bringing a monster the size of an entire coastline. By the way, listen through the end of the show to find out how you can get monster stats and papercraft minis from Niels' campaign. It's a monster called the Monstrosity, which is a gigantic tentacle monster that lives under the sea. I mean, nothing uh, new or special about that. But I find it interesting because this monstrosity itself is too large to fight in any traditional sense. Like, you can't just pick up your spells and your swords and go down to the bottom of the sea and start stabbing this thing. Uh, you have to come up with more interesting means of, of dealing with it. And the whole point of the campaign uh, that we're building around it, uh, called the Stars of the Sea, is about the players discovering that this monster is there, why it's there, and eventually how to stop it. So the threat comes not from the monstrosity itself, 
but from what it does to the environment. It's been releasing little twinkling spores into the sea that infest creatures with these uh, sort of starry mutations who then end up doing the bidding of this monstrosity, which wants to do one thing and one thing alone, and that is consume all magic. It wants to eat magic, get bigger and bigger until it has eaten everything. It's a a mini tentacled monster who lives under the sea. And, And while that is certainly a familiar trope, I'd love to hear how you encountered that archetype and what you feel like you've added to it or taken away. Now, that's an interesting question because I I really like taking very familiar tropes and then trying to get the most out of them what I can. And in the first campaign that we did, that <laughs> that is not this one, that's about like the, the trope is town on a giant turtle, right? We've seen that a hundred <laughs> times before. I was like, I want to do that, but really get into everything. You know, where did this turtle come from? Why is the town on there? The campaign starts with the turtle sleeping underground. What happens when that wakes up? What happens to the town? What happens to the the people? How can you as an adventurer make a difference uh, in this, what is essentially a disaster presented as a fun, fun adventure? And I think the same counts for this monstrosity. I wanted to take the idea of a sort of an unknowable Cthulian horror (laughs) and try to put our own spin on that. And I think that's a very exciting way of working. I I think that it works particularly well for role-playing games because you can really work with what people already know and because of that, take a lot of shortcuts uh, in people's brain. Because when you say big tentacle monster under the ocean, Everyone already knows what that means, so you don't need to spend that much time explaining that, and you can instead explain the the minutiae and the mechanics of it, because everyone already knows what the big idea is, so you don't have to explain that again, which I think is very convenient for these type of things, because I think it helps dungeon masters who need to take this story and run with it, run it better. Yeah, it's part of a shared cultural experience that is, it's really interesting to me that, that D&D is becoming the medium of oral storytelling, where we get to access the collective consciousness uh, and pull on those images that people have. One of the reasons that I love doing this with game designers is that they're not just working with the storytelling and the literary aspect, they have to turn it into something mechanical and technical that we can use. So the monstrosity specifically, how did you bring that into 5th edition D&D from a mechanical perspective? Right. Uh, so to begin with, I knew that I didn't want this to be a monster that you can fight because I think that's a really boring climax to a, to a campaign where you just fight the big dragon or something. I, I always want something more interesting to happen there. But of course, you do need stuff in the world to interact with. So the goal was to design a few monsters that tell the story of how this monstrosity interacts with the world without people having to actually fight the big monster. Uh, right, they'll, they'll have to come up with something more interesting for that. And I, I, I don't want to get into that here for uh, any listeners that might be following our production. <laughs> I don't yeah. know how it, uh, how it ends yet. But uh, so how this monstrosity will then manipulate the world is by releasing uh, tiny little spores in the ocean and they infest other creatures and form other creatures and those are then the creatures that we can interact with 
for some of my guests, it's very helpful to talk about, well, this is uh, a large aberration, neutral evil. And it's a very easy way to do right. it. I'm not getting the sense that that's yeah. the heart and soul of this. Yeah, no, we don't even uh, publish alignments or challenge ratings or anything like that with our creatures because I guess it's just not important to us what those things are. Huh. Okay, that's interesting. So if you don't publish those things, what do you publish? Stories of how they how they live in the world. So instead of saying that this monster, if I had to put an alignment to it, I mean neutral neutral right it's the ultimate neutral it doesn't have a motivation all it wants is to consume there is no morality to it <clears throat> now it's become a very complicated uh, question i see <laughs> uh, look uh, i can tell you one of the more interesting sort of design challenges that we had to tackle in order to design these things because sure. there's this concept that it wants to consume magic so we have a lot of mechanics that revolve around that and we wanted this creature to to be able to directly interact with the players on that sort of story level. So, but you run into a problem there where you can't just make all of these creatures resistant or immune to magic because that sucks, right? If you have a wizard in your party, they're not going to have a fun time. So with every one of these expressions of the monstrosity, we had to come up with a sort of uh, a different, a unique way of how it is empowered by spells. But that still, if you fight a group of them, spellcasters still have opportunities to act and aren't just seeing immune in their screen <laughs> to make a, a video game reference. Uh, so we have one, for example, that is just a bunch of tentacles. And whenever you hit it with a spell, it spawns another tentacle. <laughs> and it like it gets increasingly strong the more spells you throw at it. But it still takes damage, and it will still go down. It just increases in strength. And then there's another one that gets a temporary shield when you uh, hit him with a spell. So there it becomes more of a strategy of... Do I unload as much as I can in one round? So it can only shield as much as one round's worth or uh, do we go more with a, a debuff strategy and we leave the damage up to the the rogues and the fighters and uh, things like that and i think there there will be a few more creatures to come that play into this whole eating magic stuff what is the environment in which you would like to see this run how does the environment interact with this this all takes place in a coastal city that is called the resplendent city of Silver Spires. And the idea is that this city is incredibly high magic, and in particular in the field of magic items. Like they produce a lot of them, and they live relatively modern lives empowered by all this magic stuff, which is, of course, a great uh, target for this monstrosity. It wants to eat all this magic. It's mm, delicious. So players will be fighting uh, a lot of these little monsters in different places around the city where they can see them interact with the magic in various ways. Like, for example, the first time that they'll be encountering uh, these creatures, if they follow the campaign as intended, which of course 
they don't have to. <laughs> this is when a couple of holiday makers on the beach is uh, like one is proposing to the other uh, and then they set off some illusory fireworks to celebrate their romantic moment and then a bunch of tentacle monsters rush out from the from the ocean to to come grab them and the idea is that then, of course the heroes jump in to save them and that sort of kicks off the 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 whole story and there are various other moments where we expect the players to encounter the monsters interacting with magic in various ways where they are stuck on a magic engine and you have to like scrub them off or defeat them in a different way. And there uh, are places where they are particularly attracted to bards and then you have to figure out which bards are infested by the monstrosity and which ones aren't and who can you save and who do you have to, well, kill, I guess, or <laughs> uh, cure if you can find a way to cure them. Do you think the monstrosity or the stars of the sea is meant to be true to life in any way or to tell us something about the world we live in? To really fully answer that question, I have to dig a little deeper into the origins of the monster because this threat did not come from outer space or a different plane. It wasn't summoned by some great evil thinker. It is the accidental result of years and years of accumulated magic trash that eventually gains some form of sentience. I think that one of the possible sort of endings for this campaign is that the monstrosity is defeated not by a fight, but by structural reform. <laughs> and giving up magic items, essentially, stop feeding the beast and it will stop growing. And the idea is that this uh, whole story really reflects the way that our world deals with issues like climate change and pollution. Hopefully, when it all comes together, the players will feel like that's what they've experienced. And our hope is that we will empower them with a way to actually solve it, which is unfortunately not so easy in our real world. I mean, these are issues that my wife and I are generally concerned with, and I think everyone should be. And when we were talking about what campaign to tackle next, we started talking about what sort of deeper stories we could tell with each of the campaign ideas that we had. And then with this one, which started with a very simple idea, again, right, big monster under the sea. That was the, the basic premise, is big Cthulian monster under the sea. And we were like, okay, so how do we make that meaningful, right? How do we put meaning in that? And then we sort of slowly came up with that. And then everything started falling into place because we have this big city. There'll be lots of factions there. And they are paralyzed by bureaucracy to do anything about this because they are too comfortable and they're, they have very nice lives that they don't want to change. And I think that a lot of people have that problem in real life too. I mean, including me, right? I'm not a paragon. I'm not excluded from this whole issue. I also would like to keep all my cool gadgets and I too want to fly to my parents twice a year. You know, you know what I mean? Phew. So, so yeah, we, we were motivated to try and tell that story in a way. And I'm not sure if there even is a moral message. We just wanted to reflect what we see as the world's truths hmm. in a D&D story. Yeah, so it's less about giving people an answer and more about giving them a way to state the problem or a way to, to, to really understand it. Yeah, and I think also very importantly, a way... Uh, a route to catharsis, right? A way to 
act where in their real lives they might not be able to because i think that a lot of people struggle with this sort of feeling of powerlessness i know i do and i think that allowing a story like this to play out through a dnd campaign you you can actually conclude that feeling because in the dnd campaign you can win and you can make change and you can change the world but in real life that's not that easy but you know invest a, a few game sessions in a campaign like this and maybe you can so I think there'll be a nice feeling. I know that I'm really enjoying playing the campaign, so I'm of course very biased because <laughs> we, we wrote it, right? So yeah. Well, hey, I'm a firm believer that if if you don't like the thing that you make, nobody else will. Yeah, I, I think that's part of why we ended up in this particular business as well, because I've worked for companies in the past, and the beautiful thing about being able to just have an office with my wife and work on all our own stories is that no one can tell us what to make. We we just get to do our own story. Uh, thank you, Wizards of the Coast, for making an open game license that enables us to do this. And thank you all our patrons who so sweetly offer up their money every month for us to make all these stories to really change their lives for the better. <laughs> it's very nice. Yeah. Well, that's great, man. I'm glad that we live in a world that is capable of supporting businesses like these. And I'm really glad to to be able to introduce you to people who might not have heard of you by this point. Thanks for listening to Making a Monster. If you like what you've heard and you want to support the show, please share it with the people you play games with. Your recommendation goes a long way to helping people trust me with their time and attention. And it's a real gift to me and the creators I feature. As a special gift for listeners of this episode, Niels has made available for free some of the wild and weird tentacle monsters spawned by the monstrosity, the big bad monster to beat at the heart of the Stars of the Sea campaign. The pack includes the Spore Slug, the Star Mass, and the Monstrosity Tentacle Monsters, with lore monster sets and papercraft miniatures for each. Find it all at patreon.com slash rpgtunes. Link is in the show notes. Me and my wife, RNW, have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash RPGtunes. And on this, we release sort of these monthly packages of content that we call quest packs. And all of these quest packs build up to uh, a campaign. And last year, we finished our first campaign. So if you sign up for Patreon now, there's already a complete campaign for you to try out. This complete from start to finish. And now we are working month in monthly installments on our next campaign, and that is the Stars of the Sea, where the monstrosity will feature. Yeah, fun. <laughs> I mean, we do all sorts of other uh, fun stuff on Patreon as well. We have a Discord server that's very active where we playtest our games, and there are some entrepreneurial patrons uh, who have set up games for themselves in there as well. So there are lots of games and campaigns going on all the time while you're there you can find out how to get more making a monster that i couldn't fit in this episode how to meet my guests in person and how to help shape future episodes of the show plus there's stickers find out more at patreon.com slash scintilla studio that's patreon.com slash s-c-i-n-t-i-l-l-a studio 
Remember, there's no new episode next week as I get into the season two schedule. I will be back on February 15th with more of the best monsters in tabletop gaming. Next time on Making a Monster. When you reach down to your holster to pull out your standard repeater, you instead pull out a banana. You're not quite sure how it got there, but you hear this chittering robotic laughter come from somewhere behind you. And you turn around and there's nothing there. Investigating a little bit closely, you uh, come up to a cabinet and open it up. And about a dozen inch tall little robots that look like they're made out of scrap and other random material fall out making this chittering noise. And they're carrying your, your repeater blaster and they run into the other room.